For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, everybody, welcome back. It is our post-Thanksgiving edition of the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Hope everybody had a great holiday. Hope you're all recovering from your turkey hangover or your actual hangover. And we all had to watch the Lions and the Cowboys, so we're all we're trying to recover from that. So uh, we're getting ready now for Patriots and Cardinals. And a big game that can help keep the Patriots' fading and faint playoff hopes alive. I'm Brady Farkas. You can follow me on Twitter at WDEV Radio Brady. Aaron Wells is our producer. You can find him on social media. And Doug Flutie, former Patriots quarterback, Heisman Trophy winner, is on both Twitter and Instagram. Follow him at Doug Flutie. The podcast brought to you by our friends at Bet Online. That's betonline.ag. We've already got three NFL games now in the rearview mirror. So, not as big a selection this weekend. So, you can start throwing your money down, though, on a couple of different games, coaching, team, prop bets, everything. Just do it responsibly. Help hit yourself a couple of extra bucks here to get ready for the holiday season. So uh, betonline.ag. We get you ready for Patriots Cardinals. Aaron, play the music. What you are about to hear is a presentation of the Believe in Patriots podcast on the Believe Podcast Network. All the news, opinions, and insights on your six-time Super Bowl champion, New England Patriots. Now it's your host, me, Brady Farkas, and Heisman Trophy winner, CFL Hall of Famer, and former Patriots quarterback, Doug Flutie. All right, welcome back in. It is the Believe in Patriots podcast right here on the Believe Podcast Network. Welcoming in the aforementioned Doug Flutie. Doug, hope you had a great Thanksgiving. Yes, I did. Fantastic. I had the family down in Florida. Oh, well, excellent there. Glad that you guys were able to do that safely and convene. Aaron, hope you had a great uh, holiday as well. Um, before we get into Patriots Cardinals, Doug, I want to ask a dumb – you know, I know what the reason is, but it still amazes me. I'm thinking back every NFL game, the, the the team that wins the toss defers to the second half. If you want to kick, you should just be able to say kick. I'm going to kick, and the other team's going to receive. None of this where I've got the choice now and you've got the choice later. I, I It should just be kick and receive. That should be the only thing. It's been sit, I've been sitting on that take for a week. Hmm. If you kick and receive, well, the way things are set up, you have the choice to defend an end or kick and receive. So if you're going to – if you want to receive the ball in the second half and you win the toss, you choose to defend the goal. So you take the wind in the second quarter or you want to kick with the wind. You want you want to defend that end. Then the other says, we want the ball. So in the second half, they – then what? Then the other See, way – It's so confusing field. you can't and even now, explain it. Now I'm not explaining it right. But I, actually you have a – you have a choice to defer, but you also there's there's two parts of the choice is to, to pick an end of the field or also kick and receive. It, yeah, I agree. I I wanted the ball anyway. Give me the ball. <laughs> Even these coaches, by the way, don't know the rule because there was a college game. I was doing some research on this. Jim Mora, who used to coach in the NFL, he was coaching at UCLA. So the team he was playing, they deferred. They said, "I want my choice in the second half." So Jim Mora took the choice now, and he chose to kick. 
So he chose to kick. Therefore. And so therefore the team got the ball to start each half. So they even trip up the coaches with these rules. Yeah. You don't tell. And and the kids can get it confused when they go out. True. Yeah. The kids get it confused because that's their mentality. So we want to kick off to start the game. No, you don't. You want to defer. Let them decide. You know, if they want to. If they want to decide to kick, then you'll get the ball in both halves. But, yeah, that sometimes falls on the kids because they go out there with the mentality, we want to kick. No, you don't want to kick off. You want to have the choice in the second half. It's absurd. I just – I'm like, this I, is kick or receive. And I think it's, it. it's make it universal. You win the toss, you get the ball. Yeah, that would be the way that you think <laughs> about things. Um, I want to start with this. And I've talked about this on my radio show. I talked about with this, with this with some guests. And I want to ask you, I want to ask you about the COVID effect on Cam. And what I mean by that is he came out last week and said that after coronavirus, he felt stagnant. Now, he's not making an excuse. He's not really saying that physically he felt weird. But I look at it and say he had coronavirus. When he came back, his energy level looked way down. He looked lethargic. Now he looks like he's got that bounce back in his step. So I think, hey, maybe there's a physical issue. And then he's out of practice for two weeks. He's missing this. He's away from the team. Team building is not not the same. I do think there's a COVID effect with Cam. I don't know that it's physical, but I just think everything together, I do think it really has impacted his season negatively. Well, it breaks up your preparation. It breaks up first season with a new team, learning a new offense, and you've had this week day in day out routine and all of a sudden it's broken up you take a two-week separation from it now i'm sure he's watching film at home and getting uh the the game plan and trying to it's not the same it's not the same as being there practicing every day repping things out keeping it fresh it's like start not not completely starting over but i'm sure there was a uh reacclimation to getting back into the swing of practice in the long day and and maybe a hangover of being tired from COVID itself. You know, we know nothing. Or I, I had never had it. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I don't know what that feels like to come back from. It's, it's, I, it's unfair, I guess, because, you, you know, you get this kind of separation in your season when guys get injured or whatever. But I just feel like there's this giant gap in my evaluation of camp. First two hmm. games look pretty good, right? Look pretty good against Miami, pretty good against Seattle. Wasn't as good against Vegas, but they win. Then he doesn't play against Kansas City. He looks terrible against San Francisco and Denver coming back from COVID. And then he starts to play better again. Plays better against Buffalo. Plays better against, um, you know, better against the Jets. And then better against Houston. Like, I'm taking, if I take out the COVID gap, everything looks pretty good. It's kind of hard to fairly evaluate you know, this year. I, I, I didn't put that together at all. So I think you're right. I, I honestly... Uh, that could have an impact on the way he played in those games. Again, even in the games he's playing well, the offense is limited in what they're doing, and they're doing certain things. I think play calling has been excellent, and that helps them early in the game. Um, but there there could have been a, a hangover from the, the COVID effect, and uh, especially being a first year in, with a new system. And, and they've talked about some of the things that he struggled with and some he hasn't, and – uh, I think Cam is best at the RPO type stuff, stuff that he he's not dealing with pass protection all the time and worrying about the hots and you know which I referenced before about hots and the end of a game scenario and where to go with the ball and all that. That's not his for his forte is 
give me an area read. Let me go one to two right here, and I'm good. I'll know where to go with the ball. So in a situation where he's still kind of being comfortable with terminology and offense and all that stuff, uh, the weeks off really could have hurt him. Yeah, and I think you're right, too. When you say it's kind of like starting over, that's another thing I have heard from people. I talked to Bob Sosi, the Patriots radio announcer, recently on my show, and he said, hey, like Cam's not playing. He's out of the picture, but the offense is still trying to move forward. So like now he's not only trying to get used to the offense as he sees it, but now he's trying to play double catch-up because the offense is trying to, to – I mean, that two weeks out of practice, I got to think that is a big deal. Yeah, they may have installed new ideas in those two weeks for those and, – and Josh does it all the time. Josh will game plan for each opponent. So there was some new material that went in, new things that Cam hadn't repped, and I don't know if they carried over into the last few games. But there, there could have been some stuff that was introduced that will be different to him and brand new. I'm going to ask you a very unfair hypothetical question. I am a really big sports romantic. Like, I like the idea of sentimental, happy ending. Elway wins the title as he goes off, and that's his last memory. If, let's just say things are equal, the team would be four and six no matter what. Cam Newton's the quarterback or Tom Brady's the quarterback. Would you rather see Brady here ending his career as a Patriot but being four and six, or does it hurt? Like, for me, it would hurt more to see him here being bad than it does to see him in Tampa. That's my position. See, see, and the way I feel about Tom, though, is if he's in New England, he's not four and six. That's true. That's the, uh, that's, that's the caveat. That's, yeah. Um, but no, you don't, I, I, I'm kind of romantic about it too. I, I, I hate it when Joe Montana left San Francisco. I hate it, yeah. you know, when, when Manning left. Um, I, go, I go all the way back to, Joe Namath and John Yanninas. John Yanninas mm-hmm. finished his career with San Diego. I know. <laughs> um, so I don't like, you know, I would have loved to see Tom finish his career in New England and all that. But I, I'm also very excited for what Tom has done in Tampa Bay. Uh, you know, they had a rough loss the other night, but um, I just, I, I'm excited to see how that plays out for him there. I know it's not at the same level per se because of the Super Bowl championships. Was it ever hard for you to leave a place? It was always for you know the hardest. The uh, now there's two places. The hardest to leave. I went to Canada. I was there for two years. I was in British Columbia. Yeah. And my brother had just gotten released from the Cardinals, and he came up and played the second half of that season with me. And we were together in British Columbia. And in the eight games he played, he had nearly a thousand yards receiving in eight, eight games. And I was excited about playing with him. And then Calgary offered me more than double the contract that British Columbia is offering. And I'm like, Darren, yeah, let me let me go over. Next year, you'll be a free agent. You come over to Calgary too. So then Calgary, load, load, we end up never playing together again hmm. because of teams. And that was the hardest decision for me was leaving British Columbia and going to Calgary because I had an opportunity to play with my brother. Aaron, let's get to first impressions because I want to start to uh... – to get through this, uh, you know, I know everyone's still sleeping off the turkey, so we want to make this one a little <laughs> bit shorter here for the holiday. Give me first impressions on Patriots Cardinals. First impressions. You know, Doug, my first impression is I think the Patriots are going to win, but I can't, I just can't quit the drug of hope with the Patriots. Like, I don't know if I'm a moron or if I'm or just overly optimistic, but like, if I saw Seattle's awful defense bottle up Kyler Murray, why can't the Patriots do that? Like, I think they're going to win, but I don't know that I'm if I'm right. That's that's my biggest fear is, is getting pressure on him without letting him scramble. Um, how do you 
push the pocket and keep him contained. Kyler Murray scares me. He throws the ball extremely well. He does a lot of the things that I talk about as far as drifting and, and fading away from a blitzer and making throws. And then he's got this ridiculous athleticism. So he scares me. Um, I think Bill Belichick's approach to mobile quarterbacks in the past has always been try to rush five guys whenever possible, push the pocket, make it look like, make him think he's throwing out of a well where it looks like a wall in front of him and, and keep the worst place in the world for your outside rusher is past the quarterback. Don't get past the quarterback. Let me ask you a couple logistical scheduling questions I'm interested in. The NFL didn't have Thursday night football yet by the time you came into the league, right? Right. Okay. Correct. So the Cardinals are coming off Thursday night football, so they got those couple of extra days to prepare. So I'll use in your situation, you're coming off a bye. How much does that extra time, how much does that help you? So how much of an advantage do the Cardinals have having those couple extra days in their pockets? It helps a little bit preparation-wise. It allows the coaches to really give it some thought to add extra stuff. What, it, what ends up happening is they tinker with extra plays, and then they eliminate as the week goes on, as the extra time, which I never liked. I like having a solid game plan and let's have a couple extra days of practicing the stuff we're going to be running. Um, yeah. But the biggest the biggest asset is the extra days off health-wise. A couple of guys with ankle sprains, a couple of guys that are just beat up so far this season that get a few extra days. Steve Grogan said this to me. He said, as you got older in your career, you weren't – you were sore longer throughout the week. And eventually towards the end of your career, you're just sore from the beginning of the season to the end <laughs> of the season and you'll never get over. So <laughs> it's a chance for those guys to get over the stiffness and soreness, get to be full tilt and be healthy. And that, you know, it could make a difference in a couple of players health wise. When you have a holiday in the middle of your week, Thanksgiving, Christmas, how much does that impact your overall schedule in your routine, how difficult or different is it to navigate this week versus other weeks? It's frustrating from a family standpoint. Um, you keep the same work week usually in the NFL. This you know depends on your head coach, but the the only difference is maybe Christmas Day you go at five a.m. instead of seven a.m. and you get out at three instead of five. Hmm. Or, you know, you Christmas. When you go to the NFL, there is no Thanksgiving, there's no Christmas, there's no New Year's. You just play football and you you work around that. You have Christmas a day late, a day early, a, at night, whatever it might be. And that's just the way it's always been. You could you get out of practice early on the holiday because you skip lunch and you take that lunch hour and you start an hour earlier or two hours earlier. You might get home two or three hours early. That's about it. Usually some coaches Maybe they give you that day off and work around it, but not not back when I was playing. I think we're going to learn a lot about Arizona this week. They're coming off a loss, how they respond to, to that, trying to navigate the different schedule and the different week and all that, but also the dreaded West Coast team flying east for the 1 o'clock game. Is that a real thing? That is a real thing, and that was a real thing for me. That was a real thing for me in Canada, mm -hmm. flying West Coast to East Coast. Um I, especially as I got older, the, I, I, I don't know the stats, um, but night games, I played great as I got older and the one o'clock starts, I wasn't as loose. I wasn't quite as athletic. And as the day went, I got, I've got more and more athletic because you warm the body up and you're playing at 10 AM 
to you mentally and physically. And it's just, that's the way it is. So if you're playing at 10, you're over at the facility by eight at the stadium and it's different. It's different. The, the, it's more the kickoff. You know, the kickoff time is completely different for you. You know, as a fan, by the way, I like West Coast football better. You wake up when you're on the West Coast. When I used to live in Seattle when I was younger, you wake up 10 a.m., boom, we got games. And the best part is Monday night football and Sunday night football are over at normal times. Like none of it's staying up until midnight thing. Yeah, but I, I see, I, I went the other way. I was always an East Coast guy. When I got to San Diego, I could not get used to the fact that Monday night kickoff was around dinner time. Yeah. That, drove, that drove me nuts. That Sunday morning, there were games. I, not, not that I'm hanging home, but, you know, that's weird to me. Games, are, you know, we're getting ready for a one o'clock kick and there's games being played. It's, it's weird. It's like, no, the games don't start yet. They all start at one. I want to ask you a couple of questions about Kyler Murray. Now, offense is a little bit different now versus when you played, but Kyler Murray played in a spread offense in college. Still plays largely in a spread offense here with Cliff Kingsbury, but as you were a guy in Canada, played a lot of spread. When you came back to the States, how different was it? How hard was it hard to adjust back to a, quote, traditional offense? It, it was. It was different. It took me through preseason. I think, the, you know, I had my mini camps. I had training camp. I had all that. By my last preseason game, I kind of found a groove. I started getting comfortable. Um Zone blitz. Zone blitz was different. I had seen zone blitz in Canada. It was completely different. In it was relatively new to the NFL at that time, but it was it was a different feel. I couldn't do some things I did in Canada against it. I, so I had a lot of learning to do uh, with defenses, fronts, and cover. I was I was a coverage guy, and I really didn't worry about fronts too much. All of a sudden, you're learning a lot of little things. The ball. Uh, in Canada, I could let a receiver break, get open, let him see you throw it because there was more space on the field. The anticipation in the NFL, the windows are tighter. Open in the NFL is body position. If you're just on the inside shoulder, that's open. Give it to him. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and you've got to be pinpoint accurate and the anticipation of your throws has to be perfect. The spread offense, what's the biggest thing that it brings to a quarterback? What's the thing you liked most about it? Other than just throwing it a bunch, what did you like about it best schematically? The number one, the number one thing is it simplified fronts. It simplifies what they can do in the box. And it's blatantly obvious when someone's blitzing and where he's coming from. Hmm. And I always built in a quick throw somewhere. So when they when they blitz you, I didn't want my receivers having to read, am I hot? Am I not? Is the guy going? Am I hot off two? Am I hot off one? Are we blocked up? I would design a route so the guy would be on a quick throw coming under or another guy's in the flat, and I would deal with that so my receivers would be full speed. I love that about spread. And uh, actually, the year after I went to New England, Josh McDaniel, not, we didn't butt heads, but we had a few discussions about should we build in the hots. And the basic response I got was, Doug, we've won Super Bowls around here. We know what we're doing. We're all right, right? <laughs> so. So Josh comes back. I go to uh, – it was one of the Super Bowl games of the year after. I think it was the one against the Giants. Yeah. Um, and uh, the first one against the Giants. And I, I bumped into Josh McDaniel at dinner. And Josh uh, – hey, Doug, by the way, we build in our hots now. <laughs> so, <laughs> so you were right. It was, it's just – it's a way to allow your receivers to play fast. And when you spread them out, you create space. And it's easier to find the one-on-ones. It's easier for the offensive line to distinguish 
where the mic is and who the extra rusher is and all that. It really cleans things up. Instead of having eight guys in here, there's only four down linemen and one linebacker usually. You know how hard it is to be a professional athlete and the level of dedication it takes to work your way up the chain to be an NFL quarterback. How amazing is it to you that Kyler Murray was good enough to play two professional sports? He was drafted ninth overall in the Major League Baseball draft. Like, I understand some of it's probably just raw, God-given talent, but in terms of just the work level, the work ethic to be able to be that good at two things has got to be pretty amazing to you. It is amazing, and I I love that because I was a three-sport athlete through high school, and then I've continued to play baseball all these years and pick up basketball and everything else, and I love that about him. And I think a lot of it trans it translates to the way he throws the football and does things on you know from that standpoint the athleticism of the throwing the ball from different arm angles and drifting away. And I had a conversation at Heisman Week um, with his parents, and they were asking me. Or he was asking, oh, yeah. you know, how difficult is it at your height to play in the NFL? Can he do it? And I'm like, it's the same game. You don't know the game any differently. You know it from your perspective. It's the same. It's the same game. All that being said, his parent, his dad was whispering to me, oh, he's going to be this kind of a draft in Major League Baseball, blah, blah, blah. And then I kind of whispered to mom. I said, in baseball, you can always struggle hitting for a while and get lost in the minors. Mm-hmm. So the, the sure path is NFL. You're going to be there. I said, and then I whispered to mom afterwards, I go, don't let him get beat up. Tell him to play baseball. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I guess they listen. They, they made the right decision. You know, when you think about that, the difference between baseball versus football, I guess, I mean, there's so many different ways to think about it, right? You get to the league quicker in the NFL because there is no minor leagues, but the money in baseball is potentially so much greater. It just takes oh. you a while to get to it. I mean, that's a, that's a tough thing to tough reconcile. One, I tell you, and uh, you could, boy, I mean, to, to think of what Bo Jackson and Deion Sanders did to play both and, and trends and bounce over was, was pretty amazing. Um, if you could, if you were guaranteed, you could make it in baseball, I would say go baseball for money, guaranteed contracts, health, everything else. Yeah. Uh, but like you said, yeah, you're going to step right in the blocks and you're going to be the starting quarterback and to perform the way he has. Well, look at Joe Burrow, even Joe came in and has been absolutely amazing. Right. Yeah. He, I mean, just everything you wanted out of him. And now he's got a terrible knee injury. He's, I, it, I was texting his dad last night a little bit. And, uh, you know, he'll bounce back stronger than ever. And Joe will be fine and he'll get through it and keep going. But that's, if you had the option to go play baseball, I, I might, I might lean towards baseball. <laughs> we're, we're, we're disappointed. Aaron and I are producer because. He got drafted by the A's. We have the short season single A affiliate of the A's up here in Burlington, Vermont. If he signed, he was likely going to be sent here to uh, play, and we would have had Kyler Murray in Burlington. Yes, but but picture yourself as Kyler Murray, starting quarterback on Monday night football or Sunday night football for the Arizona Cardinals and lighting up or single A up in yeah. Burlington, Vermont, right? So yeah, but 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 seven years down the road, ten years down the road, he could end up with a three hundred million dollar contract. I, I I can't even imagine. I can't imagine those. No, I was just happy to have a job. I know. <laughs> I was just... Um, let me see. There's something here I had else that I wanted to ask you. Um, oh, it was more on the. It was about Larry Fitzgerald. Um, Larry Fitzgerald isn't the 
most productive receiver anymore. He's not even the most productive receiver on his team, right? That's DeAndre Hopkins, Christian Kirk. I just love watching Larry Fitzgerald play. I got to assume you've met him at some point. Have you met Larry yeah. Fitzgerald? Yes, I have. And um, I'm trying to think of which one was for, I think the first time was uh, I was doing a, it was Super Bowl week in Indianapolis and uh, he and I were doing some kind of round table talk or something like that where he was already there. I was coming in, he was heading out and I had just retired a couple of years out of the game. And Larry was a superstar in the NFL at the time. So I just was kind of hesitant to say hi. I was just kind of saying hi. And Larry acted so excited to meet me and mm. acted so you know, genuine and nice and polite. And just I, I, I love the guy the, the minute I met him. And then fast forward, we played in a flag football game against each other in a uh, – it was a charity flag football game at Super Bowl week that I play every year. Last play of the game, we had just scored with a couple of seconds to go. Now they're throwing a Hail Mary to Larry in the end zone, and I'm covering him. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm pushing Larry, and I push him out of the end zone. He jumps at high points. The ball. I wasn't going to go high point it with him. Yeah, He went up. He caught it. We were in Miami. He went up, caught it, and I pulled his flag off as he caught it. <laughs> and he's at the one-yard line. They gave him the touchdown. Oh, I intentionally made sure he was out of it because I wasn't going to go up and compete for the ball. I pushed him out of the end zone. He high point the ball, pulled his flag. He falls in the end zone, touchdown, and he beats me. Just so one of the NFL's class guys, too. I mean, Walter is, Payton, so class, first class. Walter Payton, man of the year award. His father is a sports writer in Minnesota still to this day. Wow. I mean, Larry, every time I see him interviewed, everything I see him a part of is first class. So. Uh, no doubt about it. You know, the, the guys that win the Walter Payton man of the year, they earn it. And, you know, and they're, they're, there's no fool in anybody. Let me end on that. You know, Walter Payton man of the year is for people who are great in charities and stuff like that. You talk about the NFL schedule, not being able to have holidays. And I don't mean this in a callous way. I would think it's really hard to keep up that level of charitable, charitable work during a season. I mean, those guys are, you're talking about stretching yourself thin. Like that's a really special quality. You've got one day off a week and that's Tuesday as a quarterback, you're still going in and watching film and you're in yeah, at least half a day on Tuesday. So the guys that are, if you're doing those events and you're doing your work in the, it's on Tuesday. And sometimes it means guys get on a plane and go somewhere on a Tuesday to do yeah. what they're doing and get back. It's, it's, it's quite the commitment, no doubt about it to, to be that involved. And I, I, people do not understand what a grind an NFL season is mentally from beginning to end training camp throughout and especially at the quarterback position, but to do other things off the field at the same time, uh, quite commendable. I mean, it's hard enough. You need some of that downtime and these guys, uh, they care about their communities and they make a difference. Well, let's end it there on a good note. I was going to throw random Twitter takes in and I was going to go off on Boomer Esiason, but I'll hold that. I'll hold that for another day. So we'll end on a good, positive Larry Fitzgerald note. Patriots getting ready for the Cardinals. We hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. I hope you enjoy listening to us through the course of the weekend. Aaron Wells, our producer. Doug Flutie, former Patriots quarterback. I am Brady Farkas. Until next week, we will see you then. Go Pats. I can't quit this team. I don't know why, but they're going to be five and six when we talk next week. So we'll see you soon, everybody. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. 
There's Granger, offering professional grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.